Welcome to the Joan Podcast. I'm your host, Kelly Vittengel. The purpose of Joan is to draw light towards mental health, to bring awareness and real stories to the trauma that most everyone endures at some point in life, from depression to postpartum depression to anxiety and eating disorders, PTSD, domestic abuse, sexual abuse, addiction, the list goes on and on. Joan is meant to be a place of honesty and connection. Through the darkest days of my struggles, I'd never felt so alone, and I was convinced there was no way out. If you're feeling this way, I hope this podcast helps you to truly understand that you're not alone and that there is so much light at the end of the tunnel. The truth is, there is no right way to heal. But this podcast was created to inspire you to take your own steps towards healing and stepping into your most authentic self. Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning into the first episode of the Joan podcast. Um, I don't know if I really consider this the first episode. I'm just going to give you as quick of a rundown as I possibly can about my experience and... um, and let you know what inspired me to start this podcast. Um, and then following this episode will be so many amazing episodes with some really incredible women. And we will be talking about so many different things. Um, my next episode is with Lacey Phillips of free and native. And we talk a lot about her experiences with depression and suicidal thoughts and relationships and all that stuff. But For now, I wanted to just dive in to my story and um, tell you a little bit about myself. So my name is Kelly Vittengel. I I grew up in upstate New York, and then I went to college in New York City and then moved out to LA for five years, and I have now been between New York and London for the past two years. So I usually like to start my episodes talking about childhood um, because I believe that our childhood has a lot to do with the pain and trauma that many people experience um, as they work through life. And what's been interesting about my life and my childhood is that I've always seen it as being perfect um, in a way. You know, my parents are still married, happily married. Um, I was raised upper middle class. I had everything that I needed. Um, There's not a whole, there was no trauma. There was no sexual abuse, physical abuse, verbal abuse. Um, It was very supported. But I've realized now, there's a lot of work I've been doing on myself and doing a lot of spiritual work and a lot of work on my childhood and have realized many, many things, but something that I feel has directly aided my anxiety now and my panic attacks was um, my sensitivity. Um, I'm a highly sensitive person. I feel deeply for other people I can be sitting across from someone and literally feeling exactly what they're feeling. I've only figured this out in the past year, but looking back, I can see that I've been that way my whole life and that part of myself was never allowed to be nourished. And of course that wasn't my parents' fault, but I was very sensitive. I was very reactive. I cried all the time. 
I was called the brat. I, you know, I was the youngest. So I was the baby. I was bratty. I was needy. I was all of these things. And so I had, in order to learn how to protect myself, I, um, I had to kind of shove all of that down and, um, it's now starting to come. I'm, I'm finally learning to release it and to embrace it. Um, but it's challenging and it's, and I, I often, I find myself getting resentful that I'm 29 and having to figure out how to navigate this part of myself that is so innate, but it's just a part of my journey. And, um, and the important thing is that, is that I'm doing the work and I feel so dedicated to, to evolving, um, as a person and to understanding myself so that I can understand others really. And, you know, collectively heal the the whole. So where to begin? So as I said, I had anxiety most of my life and it wasn't until I was 22 that I had my first panic attack that I am aware of. I, I kind of think, look back and I, and I think I probably had them prior, but I wasn't aware of it. Um, I probably was in a safer space within my home, within my parents' home, um, that I felt safe. I've always felt very safe in my home, which is something that I, that I am very grateful for. My father was a doctor and he always kind of felt like, um, a Superman in a way. And just that he had all of the answers and that I just never needed to worry if I had a health issue. So, so yeah, so looking back, I, I do think that I probably had panic attacks prior, but the first one I've, I was aware of was when I was 22 in New York City, uh, I was living in Manhattan. It was my final semester of university at FIT, the Fashion Institute of Technology. I was going through a breakup with someone. Um, it was very intense. And looking back now, again, I can see that it wasn't so much about the heartbreak as it was about kind of this shattering of my ego and of the attachments that I had to this person. Uh, But that's another story for another time. And so it was my final semester. I was, I had Blue Bottle Coffee, who, for those of you who don't know, is this very kind of trendy coffee company. They had just opened their first location in New York near my school. I went and got a large iced coffee. I was going to class and I sat down in class. I chugged the whole thing and the lights in class were flickering in just a way that just some did something. It set me off. I don't, I don't know. It did something to me. And also I'm, you know, my heart was just going from the coffee and I start, I, I became very nauseous. That's one of my side effects. One of my symptoms of panic attacks is like extreme nausea, which throws me into my insane fear of vomiting, but that's a whole nother story, but they all kind of link in together. So bolted out of class because I started to feel nauseous and I started walking to the subway, got on the subway. And let me tell you, don't ever get on the subway when you're having a panic attack. Oh God. So I got on, I got on the train and I was sitting there and I can just remember feeling like I, 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 my breath was short. I didn't know what was going on. I wasn't sure if I was going to throw up. Um, I finally got off the train and I can remember walking down the street and feeling like I wanted to rip my skin off. And that's something that I still feel. Granted, I haven't had a knock on all of the wood. I haven't had a panic attack now in almost a year, but, um, 
it, it's it, this feeling of just, I, I couldn't, I didn't want to be in my skin. It's like, it's the most terrible feeling. And I didn't know what was going on. And I felt so sick. And I can remember thinking to myself, I do not want to be alive right now. I don't want to be alive. And it wasn't that I was suicidal at that time, but I just, the feeling was so uncomfortable that I just, I didn't want to be there. So I didn't want to be, I didn't want to be feeling it. I didn't want to be alive. I just, I would rather have been dead. It just, it was one of those, it was one of those feelings. I would have rather died than, than continue to feel what I was feeling. So long story short, the way I came down from that one was it started to dissipate on its own, but I got home and my roommate in New York at the time gave me a half of a Xanax. I didn't even know what Xanax was. I didn't know I was having a panic attack, but it helped. The Xanax helped. I came down, all was fine, moved on with my life. Finals week passed. I, but however, I can say from that moment, I stopped drinking coffee and, um, I haven't had coffee since until I was in Rome two, like a year and a half ago (laughs) and had another crazy panic attack, which I will get into. But, um, yeah, so coffee is not for me. Caffeine is not, not my friend. I'm very, again, learning that I'm a highly sensitive person. My body is sensitive. My nervous system is sensitive. I mean, every part of me is just a very, very light, sensitive being. And I have built a very intense shell around myself that I am peeling back. So, from New York, I got over my, I, I, I knew that I wanted to move to California. I wanted to move to California my whole life. So I, you know, I left school, went home for the summer and managed to get myself a job in LA, drove out there in three days and, um, started doing set design and was working full-time with a company, got laid off, started with another company. I mean, these were all, but I was, I was on such a high, I mean, living in LA and I was living in this little beach shack with a bunch of boys and it was, and it was, and, and we had surfboards in the front yard and it was so fun. And, and so soon after moving there, I met someone, um, who ended up becoming my partner for, just about, it was just over three years. And, um, we moved in together and I was like 23 or 24. And I just was like, yeah, this is it. Like we're going to get married and this is my guy and he's a surfer and he's a snowboarder and he has a good job and he's got a great family and I love his siblings and his parents. And, um, he's from Minnesota and he has good values, you know, like everything lined up and he was, he was wonderful. And I know that we have a lot of history and past life stuff together, I believe. Um, so anyway, um, funnily enough, it was, it was about, we'd moved in together. I met a bunch of girls who started to kind of turn me on to spirituality, which is something that I had been interested in for most of my life. When I was 15 years old, I had started buying books on Buddhism and I knew that there was something bigger. I, re- I was deeply rejecting the Catholicism that I was raised with and just knew that there was something that was connecting everyone, but I didn't know what it was. And I was into meditating, but I didn't know how to do that. And it all seemed, you know, cool and, and, and interesting. And so these girls kind of, you know, LA is like the place for all of the healing. And it really is. I mean, LA changed my life more than any any other place I've lived. 
And I have so much gratitude for it. So these girls came into my life and I remember sitting, we were having dinner, we were having sushi one night at Sugarfish, for those of you who know the treasure that is Sugarfish. And we were, they were telling me about this book called Many Lives, Many Masters by Brian Weiss. And they were like, you have to read it. You have to read it. So I bought it. I think I got it on Amazon. Like then actually, no, I think I drove straight to the bookstore and bought it and read it so quickly. And, um, it changed my life. I mean, it, it really, I credit that book with changing, with, with really, really being this kind of pivotal moment for me, um, on my spiritual journey. So prior to buying that book, I was kind of in this huge transition. I had just quit my job and, um, that was really intense because I knew I wanted to start my business. I didn't know exactly how I was going to do it. Um, my partner at the time wasn't particularly supportive. So I felt like I was very alone in doing this. And it was just, it's a lot when you quit a job, um, a full-time job Monday through Friday, you are left, you're left with yourself. You're left with thoughts. You're left with patterns and behaviors that you've never, you maybe haven't necessarily witnessed in yourself before. And so I was, I was really kind of exploring myself and witnessing myself for the first time. And, and then I read this book and at this time I was also having, starting to have feelings that I, my partner might not be right for me. I don't know if it was so clear to me in that moment, but I just, something didn't feel right. I didn't want to admit it to myself, but something didn't feel right. So I was having a lot of anxiety coming up around the relationship and and these feelings I was having about the relationship, but not knowing what to do with them and not really knowing how to be honest with myself because I was had convinced myself that I was going to marry this person and I was just so upset about it and potentially not being right. So um, I can remember being on the phone with my mom and crying and it was at that time I decided to go on antidepressants for a little while because I just didn't know how to get myself... I didn't know any other way. I didn't know how to start my business. I didn't know how to get out of the rut that I was in. I just felt so stuck. And so I went on antidepressants. And what the craziest part about that is something that I'm trying to do with this podcast is to remove the stigma around mental health and medication and all of this. And what's so crazy is that I look back, think back on that, and I never told him that I was taking medication. We were living together and he didn't know that I was on meds, which is just so crazy. And that's not his fault at all. But that, that was the conditioning that I had had, that I had received from the media, from family, that this is all hush hush. You don't tell, you shouldn't, you don't need to tell anyone about this, that, that it's normal. I was told that it was, um, it runs in my family, uh, that it's in my genes um, this is a whole nother story. I actually do not believe that, um, that mental illness is genetic, but that is a very controversial thing to say, especially from someone who comes from a family in medicine. But, um, I will get a little bit more into that and why I believe that later. But yeah, so I was, I was living with this person. I was on antidepressants and he didn't know. And, um, and then I finally, so I finally got the business started things felt good and exciting again. And 
but I still was trying to fix something within the relationship. And, um, I was looking at apartments for us to move to. I was just looking for something exciting. And then I finally convinced him to get a dog, which was one of the most beautiful things I've ever experienced, but also was probably one of the stupidest things. You know, I just was so unaware. I didn't know. I was just trying to fix the relationship. I was just trying to find something new to bring to it. So we got the dog and he's an angel and I loved him. I actually had, people think I'm nuts when I say this, but like this dog was sent from the angels. I'm sure of it because I had a dream right when we got him that one of the most realistic dreams of my life, I, that I gave birth to him. Like it was so real. I, I reached down between my legs and pulled him out of me. <laughs> and it was like, he was, I mean, he's a part of my soul. I still believe that. Um, and a lot of this ties into, you know, so I had been kind of awoken to this idea of past lives by that book by Brian Weiss, by many lives, um, many, many lives, many masters, the one that my girlfriends had told me to read, which is all about past lives and, um, healing the trauma from past lives and our current lives and that anxiety and depression and different trauma, different experiences, um, difficult experiences that we are feeling right now can oftentimes be caused by experiences from past lives. Um, if that sounds interesting to you at all, I highly, highly recommend this book. You will read it so fast. So we got the dog and then I went off my medication. The bit, my business started going crazy. It was so, it was, it was like so successful and totally unexpectedly. And, um, I decided to move out in September We'd gotten the dog in January and I moved out in September and looking back on it, I actually, I think I moved out in just, no, sorry. I moved out in October and looking back on the move, I, I, I honestly, I can't even really remember it because I think I was protecting myself. I think I put blinders on. I was too scared to feel what I was feeling and to accept what I was doing, um, that I was hurting him and that I didn't know what to, what to what I was even going to do for myself. I found an apartment and I felt so good. And I, I, I was living on my own for the first time. And I was like, I'm going to be single. I haven't been single in so long. You know, up until that point, I hadn't been single for more than like three months and since I was 15. And um, I moved in and... down the three blocks away from my ex and, um, things were so good. And then what do you know? Of course, like literally not even a month into, um, being on my own, I meet a guy (laughs) in the basement of my favorite bar, like in the dark, um, God, I not even going to go into fully into this story, but it's a very funny story. But Again, it was so random. It was completely unexpected. We looked at each other and it was like full, actually love at first sight. It was such soul recognition. And again, this kind of ties into my beliefs about past lives. And having read this book, I just, he knew me, I knew him. 
and there was, it was just so, it was so real and it was so magnetic. And I had, but I also can remember thinking in the moment, like, is this real? Am I making this up right now? Am I, you know, it, it was, it was just one of those very bizarre moments that you kind of can't believe when it's happening. And so he, he was from London. Well, he's from Italy, but he lived in London and he was in LA on holiday for two weeks with his friend. I ended up inviting the two of them to stay with me because they didn't have anywhere to stay. <laughs> I had just moved into my apartment. I had to tell my neighbors that I was not a crazy person who just brought Europeans home. And, um, yeah, I mean, it was, and we, we fell in love so instantly. It was like, I'd, I've never felt so at home with someone so instantly. Um, I told him that I loved him like five days into us meeting and I, I've never meant it more. It was so, I said it just so matter of factly. I was like, I love you. He said, I love you too. And it was just, it was like, okay, yeah, great. This is wonderful. That's just what it is. So he went back to London and I started traveling from LA to London um, a lot. And that is a 10 and a half, 11 hour flight. So I started um, doing that pretty much every other month. And also during this time, my ex and I were sharing the dog. So I had the dog and there was a lot of stress um, and guilt happening with that relationship because not only due to the actual breakup, but my ex's mother had been diagnosed with stage four cancer and was given less than a year to live. So there was a lot of emotion going on. I was traveling a lot. I was in this really good place with my new boyfriend, but then I was kind of pushing a lot of emotion down. And then you know, I, again, it, it, we got like six months in, it was, um, maybe six months later, it was April of 2016 that, um, my girlfriend and I went to Coachella for the first time. Well, it was my first time and I just wanted to experience it. We were going to do it really mellow. We were jokingly call it, calling it mellow cella. And, um, we got some Molly, which is MDMA. Um, it's the purest form of ecstasy, I believe, is how you describe it. I'd never taken it. I was in this very experimental place. I was like, going, you know, doing, reading these spiritual books and working on spirituality and like studying meditation. And I was, I was just, I had heard that it was great. It was a great drug, and I wanted to give it a try. <laughs> so. Um, we were at the concert and I took, gosh, my, my heart is starting to race just talking about it. Um, we took the drug, we both took one of the pills and, um, just kind of walked around and waited for it to kick in. And we walked into the crowd and we were watching Ellie Goulding and all of a sudden I became very nauseous. And I guess this, after speaking with people, I didn't know this, but this is like a pretty common side effect when you first take drugs. I'm not a drug taker, so it was really my first time. And um, again, that fear, that that um, the fear of vomiting, and and all of that started coming up. And um, 
I looked at her and I said, I don't, I, I think I need to go to the bathroom. And she looked at me and she's like, oh, let's just wait until the end of the song. And I was like, okay, I'm okay. I'm all right. I'm all right. And I tur- I stood up and I looked behind me and I, you know, we were near, pretty near the stage and there must've been, I don't know, 10,000, probably more people behind me. And the music was loud and I looked at her again and I said, Ari, I have to go to the bathroom. And she said that my face was as white as a ghost and she grabbed my hand and she's pulling me through the crowd. And I just started, I mean, I was having a full on panic attack and I went into the bathroom and another side effect for me with my panic is, is diarrhea. So I'm going to the bathroom and I'm like out of the bathroom and I'm with her and I'm like, I'm going to throw up, I'm going to throw up, I'm going to throw up. And I didn't know what to do. And I'm walking around and I'm freaking out. And then finally the panic subsided. And then all of a sudden the drug kicks in. So that was this really weird experience because then all of a sudden I'm like, you know, happy as a clam. And, um, but I knew that I didn't want to be there anymore, but she wanted to stay for the, for the final, for the final band. And I wanted her to experience that. So I went back to the house by myself and kind of calmed down. But from that moment, I really, that really kind of set something in motion for me. And I don't know if it was a com, you know, I don't know if it was a combination of the drug and the panic that then kind of unlocked something in me or if it was just the panic attack, or if it was just the drugs, I don't know. So I got home from Coachella, had felt, I was feeling, still feeling pretty on edge because the experience was so terrifying. Again, it was that like, gotta get out of my skin. I want to die right now kind of feeling. And it was like, I think a month later, not even, yeah, a month later that I was having dinner with my girlfriends for my birthday. And then all of a sudden started having a panic attack in the restaurant And then after that, it was like two weeks later. And then after that, it was a week later that I had another one and they just started coming on more, more frequently. And, and then I started having some really intense ones. Um, I was in Paris with my boyfriend at the time and, um, I, you know, I was over visiting him in London and we went to Paris for the weekend and I was, we were in this little this little restaurant in the in a basement in Paris. And again, I'm very sensitive. I don't know if sometimes these really historical cities, I don't do that well in Paris. I don't know why in France, in France in general, but anyway, that's besides the point. Um, and I was eating a steak and I was chewing it and I went to swallow it. And all of a sudden I couldn't swallow and I spit the steak out And, and then I just started having a panic attack and I, and I, and then all of a sudden I started convincing myself that I couldn't eat solid food and that, that I was going to choke. I thought I was going to choke. So that happened. And then like three days later we were back in London and I was trying to eat something and then I couldn't eat because I couldn't eat something solid. And then I'd get really hungry. And then all of a sudden the hunger, I, I, started to become hypoglycemic and the hunger would then same thing, flip on the panic. So it was just kind of this vicious cycle. I was terrified. I think I didn't, I, I, it it was like, I think almost like six months. Well, it was probably like a month that I had a really hard time eating solid food. And to this day, I still get a little nervous when I'm eating and I don't have water near or something liquid near 
Um, I'm pretty much over it, but I still find myself sometimes it's like, I mean, it's, it's the PTSD is very real. So we were in London and I started having this panic attack and it actually, it, it ended up lasting three hours at this time. I didn't have medication. The reason I didn't, I I had no Xanax. I, I didn't even want to go on medication because I was so, I was like, I'm doing spiritual work. I don't need this. I can get through this spiritually. But here I am in London having a three-hour panic attack that I thought I was going to die. I mean, I thought that God bless my ex-boyfriend. He was such an angel for me during this time. He just, he sat with me. I mean, the time for me felt like at the time it felt like it was going so slow, but I also just felt like I was in a time warp. And by the time from start to finish, it was, it was three hours he sat with me. We went for a walk. He walked with me. I was ter- People were walking by us and I would just like lean into him because I, I was terrified of, of anyone even walking by. It was, it was so scary. And, um, but you know, so that is what, when I got home from London from that trip and I, I just, I ended up getting Xanax to keep on me, um, for times of emergency. I didn't want to go on medication yet, but I wanted to have the Xanax for when I was going to, if I, you know, fell into a panic attack again. So, you know, I continued to have a few as I was in LA. Um, well actually pretty frequently, I think at this point I was, I was, um, I started to kind of, I started to be in almost a perpetual state of panic. Like it was almost 24 hours a day. Um, I was able to, you know, people always ask me if I was sleeping during that time. And I was because I think my body was so exhausted. My adrenals were so just beat by the end of the day, I would hit the pillow and just crash. So, um, it was, Again, it was, I have a few, there were a few panic attacks that were like real. All three of them were kind of like these rock bottom moments, but they all kind of, um, they get worse and they get, they were all terrible, but they get the, between the three of them, they continue to get worse. So the next one was, um, again, I was back in London. I was visiting my ex. We had rented an Airbnb so that we could have some privacy from his roommates. He'd been working all day. Winters in London can be pretty brutal. Um, it was October. It was Halloween. And um, the sun was setting at like 4 p.m. And he was working all day. And I just was in a really kind of... I was in a really dark place. And I um, I was at the Airbnb by myself all day. And it was... I do remember it being a full moon in Scorpio. Um, and it was really intense for me. And... Um, I, I just remember being on the floor, sobbing, sobbing on the bathroom floor. And I looked up at the shower curtain rod and I, and I thought to myself, I want to hang myself. I want to kill myself. And, and it was a very scary moment. And then it wasn't so much about me thinking about killing myself. It started to turn into this spiral, this thought spiral 
of, am I going to kill myself? Am I not going to be able to control killing myself? Am I going to do something that I can't control? And that's where that came in. And, and that gives you a clue into what a lot of my anxiety has been about. And it's been about this fear of losing control, which again, kind of stems from me learning to stuff a lot of my emotions down for fear of losing control of them because they were never accepted. I never learned how to properly deal with them. I was punished for them. So, um, so it was so scary. So then all of a sudden I'm thinking, then that triggered something else. And then I'm like, Oh my God, am I going to kill myself? Am I going to kill myself? Am I going to kill myself? You know, it turned into this, this really scary, like, can I, can I control myself? I can't even control myself. So I got home from London and then it was a few weeks later, it was Thanksgiving and my parents flew out to LA and my ex, my boyfriend at the time flew out and the three of uh, the four of us went up to Santa Barbara for Thanksgiving weekend. And we had like the cutest Airbnb and it was like the coziest, sweetest little situation. And, um, God, it's so crazy when I talk about, I'm, I'm shaking, just recalling all of this, but, um, I, uh, I woke up really early one morning and I felt really out of control. I woke up with a lot of anxiety and I felt really out of control. And those thoughts started again, like, am I going to kill myself? And I started thinking to myself, I started having these thoughts about running out into the street in front of a car. I was like, I'm going to jump in front of a car. I didn't want to do that, but I started thinking that I was going to. And then I, and then the fear, like, am I going to do that and not be able to control it? And I sat and kind of wrestled with that for like a couple of hours. It was early, early, early morning. It was like 4 a.m. It was dark. And then the sun came up and I can remember hearing my parents get up. And and I just remember, and this was me, I, I just was hitting, this was me really hitting my rock bottom. My parents, God, the poor things, didn't know how bad this was because I really wasn't telling anyone and I can remember walking out of the bedroom and into the living room and my dad was on the sofa on his computer and he looked up and I was, I had tears just streaming down my face and he goes, uh oh. <laughs> and I walked out onto the porch where my mom was and I just collapsed and I was sobbing. And I just felt so out of control. And I can remember her being so supportive. I sat down in a chair and she was so calm in the moment and just really guiding me through what I was going through. And then Leo, my boyfriend had woken up and he came out and he just kneeled down in front of me in the chair and just held my hands and and my dad came out and it just felt so okay. And I felt so supported and so loved, but it was so, it's so hard to explain to someone who's never experienced a panic attack, how heavy it is. And it's different for everyone. You know, I, I don't think that any two panic attacks are the same or that they even affect anyone the same, but my God, from the people I've talked to, who've experienced it know that it's 
it feels life it feels life ending it's so horrific and I was I just I had hit rock bottom I didn't know what to do I didn't want to live but but at the same time sitting in that moment I felt so much love and support and my god looking back like without that support my boyfriend at the time was the most amazing person. I don't think that there's another human being on earth who could have handled that. I don't think any other human, any other guy that I was, could, would have, who I may have been in a relationship with could have handled that. I really believe that he was in my life for me at that time for that purpose. And sometimes I really do wonder, I'm like, if I didn't have him, I don't like, what would have happened? Would some, would I have, would something have happened if I didn't really feel like I had him to live for? I really felt like I had him to live for and I had his love and his support. And I can honestly say that that's one of the most important things is, is having someone to talk to. And, and I know that that's not the case for everyone, but for me, in my experience, that was the most important thing. And he didn't understand it, but he supported me. And and my parents, as I said, they didn't know what was going on. They didn't know how bad it was. And it wasn't until that moment that they suddenly became pretty frightened seeing how in shambles I was. I mean, I was like, I was a, I was a shell. I I was a shell of myself. I was terrified of of everything, of everything. I don't even know how to, I could, I was scared of eating. Of, I, I was scared of, of getting sick, of dying. It was like my head was filled with so m- many horrible thoughts. And, um, we went, so from, from that, on that trip, we went back to LA and I went, I got, I went straight on medication and, um, and it worked. It it uh, it helped pretty immediately, and um, I'm really grateful for the medication during that time because I really sometimes feel it. It, it feels like it saved my life. And um, so from there, I again I went back to London, and it was New Year. Uh, it was the New Year's Eve, and I can remember watching the Tony Robbins documentary on Netflix. Now, Tony Robbins, a lot of people love him. A lot of people don't like him. He's not really my kind of guy within the spiritual world, but there was something about the documentary that shook, that shook something in me. And and I knew, even though I'd gone on the medication, as I had said, I I, I didn't believe that medication was the answer. And even though I was on it, and I needed to be on it. I still knew that there was something more. I knew that there was something more going on. And I can remember watching that documentary and I looked at Leo, my partner at the time, and I and I was just like, I feel like I need to do something. There's got to be something else here. Like, I feel like I need to go away. I need to do something. And I had had a few friends who had done the Hoffman process. Um, and so you know, during this time, again, tons of changes happening. I decided to, um, give up my, uh, apartment and move my business to, from LA to New York. Um, and I gave my ex custody of the dog, which was 
one of the hardest things I've ever done in my life. It felt like I gave up a child. His mother had died. Um, there was a lot happening. And, um, so I left LA. I left some of the best friends that I've ever had. I left a place that felt so healing and comforting to me. And I moved to all my stuff to New York and then started spending my time in London. And so I knew that I was going to be back and forth between London and, and New York. And so I signed up for the Hoffman process in April of 2017. And I went for a week and, um, it is this really intensive week of therapy basically where you are in a house with no more than my group was 24 people. And, um, um, it's all over the world, by the way, they have it in California. They have it on the East coast, I think in Connecticut, maybe. Um, I did mine in England. They have it in France. They have it in Australia. So I did it in England and, um, there were 24 of us in a house, no cell phones. You turn in everything when you get there, no books, no TV, um, they do give you your own journal so you can journal, but it is like, I mean, you know, you're, you are left with yourself again. It's kind of this like learning to sit with yourself and it's this intensive week where, so Bob Hoffman, who started the, who created the process, um, came develop the belief that many people have adopted that, um, we receive most of our conditioning from the time that we're born until, um, seven years old, all the way up to puberty and potentially later from the people that were around when we we're kids, namely our parents or our caretakers, our siblings, and that we adopt patterns and conditioning from our parents that are not necessarily ours. And when we're living from something that we're taught to believe that isn't innately our own belief, it, in a way, it's like caging a part of your soul and a way that I often describe my panic attacks was this feeling that my soul was literally rattling inside of me trying to wake me up. So I went and did the Hoffman process and it's this really intense week where you just, you dive really deep into your childhood patterning. And again, this was sensitive. My parents weren't all that happy. They were, they were happy that I was doing the work, but they didn't really understand what could have gone wrong in my childhood. And I felt the same way. I was like, what, like nothing actually happened to me in my childhood. So what is this? So, um, a lot of people think it's like a magic pill that fixes everything. It's not, but it certainly gets you to dive deep and it's challenging because when you start to do the work, you really can't stop. Um, it's, it's kind of like a snowball effect that, that starts to get bigger and bigger. So, I finished my week at Hoffman and I got home. It was very emotional. I was processing a lot, but it was all, it all felt very positive. So much so that maybe a month later, I think it was May of 2017, that I decided to go off of my medication that I had been on since the end of November. So it was close to six months that I had been on it. And I can definitely say that I went off of it too quickly. That was, you know, I, I didn't speak with a doctor. I didn't talk to my dad. I didn't, I just was like, all right, I'm, I'm doing it. Um, actually, you know what? I think I did speak with my parents and they both were kind of like, 
is it too soon? Is it too soon? Um, that's quite a common thing when you're on antidepressants that you feel better and you're like, yeah, I'm great. I can go off of them now. Um, and so I went off of them. I also went off of them too fast. Um, if you are on medication and do someday decide to wean off of them, I would highly recommend, um, following the rules because I think I got off of them in like two weeks and it's supposed to take months for you to kind of lower the dosage. And I had, I felt like so sick. I had the craziest vertigo. Um, so anyway, um, that had happened and I was still just like kind of diving in and doing work and, but, but was still in quite a fearful place. I was still pretty fearful of the anxiety and of the panic and then, and Leo and I really started, Leo, my, my partner at the time, we, we started in a way going down different paths. He's innately a very spiritual person, but was somehow resisting the work that I was doing. Um, and I was resisting what he was doing. I felt too sensitive to really go out and be social in any way. And it took, um, a big toll on our relationship and not to mention like the amount of responsibility that I believe that he felt, um, for good reason, because I was in such a low place for so long. I mean, I think that that it takes a lot for someone to be able to care for you, um, in that situation when, you know, it was, so different when we first met, like I did a 180. I mean, I was a completely different person. Of course, at my core, I was the same, but he was not with the same person that he met. And so he felt a lot of, um, responsibility. And, um, and I think that he reached a point that he was starting to break. And the most beautiful part of our relationship is that it's always, it was always very communicative and honest. And so we sat down to talk things through in September of 2017. Um, and we went on a break and then it was in November that we officially broke up and we sat down and had like a two hour conversation. And even though in my core, I knew things weren't right, I fearfully wanted to hold on. And he is much more honest with himself than I am and knew that he needed to leave and he knew that we needed to separate. Um, and, and looking back on that now, I can, I can see that that's really what needed to happen. Um, and it was really an interesting breakup for me because I had no ill feelings towards him. And for the first time in a breakup, I knew that my pain was coming from attachment. So, um, I started diving really deep again and doing a lot of work into my subconscious around my beliefs and why I felt that I needed him because I knew that my need wasn't actually real and that it was coming from a lack within myself. Um, and it's amazing, you know, I look back and, and, and the amount of gratitude that I have for the breakup now, I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't change a thing. And I, now when I'm going through a difficult time, I start to get excited or if something triggers me, I start to get excited because I know that there's work to do. And I know that there's, there's something behind it, some belief within myself that I now have the tools to dive into. So, um, yeah, so that led me to, so that breakup happened and like, I went real deep again, 
um, was really like working through a lot of my own stuff. My heart was really open. I kind of felt like I'd been cracked open again in a different way, but still, you know, just feeling really raw, really sensitive. Um, and this led me to the beginning of this year, the beginning of 2018. And it's so crazy to look back at that time because again, at the beginning of this year, I couldn't even go into a restaurant without, feeling like I was going to just die. I, (laughs) I mean, truly it, I, I, again, it was me really, it was like, I became acutely like hyper aware of my sensitivity to other humans, but maybe not in the most positive way, but it was just like, you have this, like you're a very empathetic person. And so I couldn't help, but feel what everyone else was feeling And, um, and it took, um, it has taken me a lot and I'm still really learning how to discern what emotions are mine and what emotions are not mine because I very easily take on other people's emotions. Um, yeah, it just was like, I completely, like I was a completely open soul that was processing every emotion around me. And I've had to learn how to ground and center myself. Um, And so it was around this time, early 2018, um, that I started to do um, my friend Lacey's work, Lacey, a free and native. And I can honestly say that this is some of the most important work that I've ever done. Um, Some of you may have heard about her and about, um, her work. If you haven't, I highly recommend looking into her unblocked workshops. Um, in a way it's similar to the Hoffman process where it's just this deep dive into your childhood and into your subconscious. And it gets you to look at your triggers and to see that 99% of the time we think that something's happening to us. Um, when we feel like a victim in a situation, when someone has done something that offends us or something we don't believe in, it's probably actually a subconscious block that you have been programmed to believe. And that has been one of my greatest lessons. Um, so yeah, so I've been just working through that and then it's been just such a crazy year. I, another kind of funny little story, um, in June, I had one of my best friends bachelorette parties. And at the time, you know, when I got the invite for it in January or February, I was like, there is not a shot in hell that I'm going to be able to do this, that I'm going to be able to go to Fire Island in New York, stay in a house with six girls, eight girls, however many girls, and be partying for a bachelorette party. I mean, I'd pretty much stopped drinking and going out at all. And I just kind of was like, I can't do it. I can't do it. And, um, I ended up forcing myself to go and having the most amazing time. It was all of a sudden, like everything that I had held in, um, I just let out (laughs) and it was a really important lesson for me because I really, the anxiety has a way of getting you really stuck in your head. And so I really shifted my energy from myself to the bride and to being of service to her and, as soon as you do that in any situation, when you, when you can take the pressure off of yourself and take the negative beliefs that are constantly running through your head, um, off of yourself, 
and be of service. What can I do for you? Can I, can I clean the house? Can I, what can I bring? Um, you know, what do you need? That kind of thing. It, and it sounds so simple, but it, it's really powerful. And so this is actually some really important work that I had learned. Um, my spiritual advisor, Mary had told me about, um, a teacher named Byron Katie and her work has, is also is a, um, has been massive for me and my healing. And so she has, um, this process called the work where you ask yourself four questions when you're, when you're having a belief about something and you notice yourself going into a downward spiral, um, about, about something, um, you, you, you're meant to, so it's, you, you have the awareness that you're having this thought. So for, I'll use the bachelorette party as an, ex, as an example, I was telling myself, I can't do this. I cannot go to this bachelorette party. So the four questions are, the first question is, is it true? So is it true that I can't handle the bachelorette party? Well, I've been telling myself that. So yeah, I believe that. The second question is, can I absolutely know that it's true? Can I? No, I can't because I haven't actually, I'm not actually in that situation right now. And, um, and I don't know, I, I can't actually say, um, I can think that I, I won't be okay because of what, of Pat, maybe something that, ha- that I couldn't handle being in a restaurant a month, the month before, but who knows what's going to happen in June. So no, I cannot absolutely know that I can't handle it. The third question is, how do you feel when you believe that thought? So when I was believing the thought that I couldn't handle this bachelorette party, it was just like pure dread, um, making it about me. I can't handle this. It gave me anxiety. It started to make me feel panicky. Um, I was like pre-planning being able to go to bed early. I was texting the girls like, I'm kind of a grandma these days. So if I need to stay home and go to bed, like, please just respect that. And, and that's okay too, to, if you are in a space and, and you need to ask your friends, um, and tell your friends that, you know, you do need a little extra care. That's totally okay. But this is a different story. So the final question is, who would you be without that thought? So who would I be without the thought that I might not be able to handle this bachelorette party? Um, well, I'd go into it with a completely open mind without any, without any pre-beliefs that I've made up. Um, and it might be a completely different experience than what, than what I've made already in my head planned it out to be. And so I, I did use that process and it ended up working amazingly. And I had the most amazing time. We all laughed saying that we all had spiritual awakenings on the dance floors of Fire Island because I was dancing and taking shots of tequila, which I swore I wouldn't do and setting off fireworks. And we ended up just having the most fun. It was just one of those like really deeply bonding moments with, um, some of my best friends and, it's so amazing when you get together with women who really support you. You know, my friends really were not judgmental. They knew that I was in a sensitive space and they were very, they were very much honoring that. Um, and I showed up and showed up to play and, uh, we ended up having an amazing time. So I like to ask people, you know, what do you do to keep yourself healthy and balanced now? And so for me, as I said, I've done so much healing. I've seen like, I've seen, so many healers and astrologers and acupuncturists and, uh, herbalists and energy healers and angel healers and, and facialists. And I mean, really like 
the list goes on and on and on and on and on. Um, so some of the most important things that I have done is shifting my eating habits and Anthony William, the medical medium, who some of you may have heard of, some of you may not have heard of, has really changed my life. And I won't go too deep into what he does or what he preaches, but um, he is of the belief that we can heal ourselves, that our bodies are always on our side, and that we can heal ourselves through mind, body, and spirit, specifically through body, through food, through food, drink, and supplements. So um, I started looking into his protocols to help with naturally help with anxiety, with things like anxiety and depression. And, um, I now do every single morning I drink, um, organic straight up celery juice on an empty stomach. And that's like what he's very become very famous for. And, you know, a lot of people like to doubt him, but and not that Instagram is everything, but go to his Instagram page. He has a million followers and so many people on there. Um, are just screaming about how much these protocols and and his his work and what he's putting out there, how much it's helped them. Um, so it really kind of speaks for itself. People like to doubt it. It sounds a little woo wooey. I can warn you that the woo woo part is where he gets his information from. Um, but if that's of any interest to you, I would highly re- recommend looking him up, getting his book, Medical Medium. Um, he has a few now, but that was his first one, and it really explains his um, his process and uh, his beliefs. And then I would highly also recommend the new one, which is the liver, liver cleansing one. I can't remember um, the name of it properly, but then there's also thyroid healing, and there's a few other ones. So I would look into that. Um but also just cleaning up my diet a lot. I eat purely organic when I can. Um, I've started, I've stopped drinking tap water. This all sounds really intense and I'm not too hard on myself. You know, I slip up and it's not even slipping up. It's just allowing myself to, to eat certain things and to be at a restaurant and be drinking tap water. And, you know, I've, I'm off of dairy at the moment and, but I was at a restaurant yesterday and they had mozzarella with truffle honey and, pear and it was so divine. And of course I ate it because it was delicious and I'm a human being. So, so there's that, um, clean and natural skincare has been a big thing for me. And actually having a ritual around my skin every morning and every night has been a really beautiful, I'm a routine person. So that's been a really beautiful way for me to kind of have a routine to start my day and end my day. I love to take baths. Um, also to start my day before I even clean my face, I am meditating. So I learned Vedic meditation really kind of serendipitously right around the time, right after I got back from Coachella actually. So it was interesting that that lined up for me and it quite literally fell into my lap and it's something that you usually have to pay for. And it fell into my lap for free. And I learned from an amazing teacher who's become my friend. Her name is Jack from the, from the broad place. They're in Australia, but they travel all over the place. So if you're in LA, London, New York, um, she's constantly doing different workshops to learn the meditation. So, um, I will link to her site below and, um, yeah, so I do a 20 minute meditation, um, every morning I pray prayer has been huge for me. So in the back of Anthony William, the medical medium's books, I was one day having a really hard time and I was reading in the back of his book and he was just speaking so matter of factly about the fact that we have 
guides and angels around us at all times. And again, this might sound wooey to some people, but it just struck me in such a way that I had felt like I was fighting this fight for so long by myself that all of a sudden to feel like I had something, had someone, something, some energy, angels, whatever it is walking with me, it it literally took me to my knees and I just started sobbing and it brought so much relief to me. And I've now really started communicating with these people and I'm not, I don't hear them back, but I speak out loud. I mean, I pray out loud in the morning and I, and I, the first thing I do is I thank them for walking with me and for guiding me. And I ask for protection of my mind, body, and spirit. And, and then I do, I get specific and you can get specific, which is kind of the most amazing part. And, um, and I pray for my family and for friends and for specific needs that I have or, or, or wants. And, um, it's a really amazing way to connect with, um, with something greater than you and to also just recognize like what, what's really important to you. Um, so meditating has been really big for me in prayer. Um, exercise, I've started regularly exercising. That is suddenly something that I can't live without and not in an over the top way. Um, I've given up any crazy expectations, any crazy Victoria's secret expectations that I've had of my body and really now see exercise as something that I need in order to, to process and to stay grounded and stay in my body. Um, I do yoga and hot yoga a few times a week and I've just started, um, with a personal trainer once a week, which has been, which is so great. And I feel so connected to my muscles when we're working on targeted muscle groups, um, in the training. And it really, really gets me in my body. I said today, actually, after this session, I was like, this almost feels like a meditation because as we're doing repetitions of things and she's reminding me to like engage in certain muscle groups, um, it really gets you super hyper-focused on, on one thing and it turns into a form of meditation. Um, and then with the yoga, it was earlier this year, I, I did a trip to Spain on my own in April. Don't ask me how, how I did that when I was in such a fragile place, but I did. And, um, I knew I wanted to do something on my own to prove to myself that I could. So I went to Spain by myself and I was in Barcelona in a yoga class and, um, it was the first time and I was, I was getting into a challenging pose and it was the first time that I really suddenly made such a direct tie between my life and the yoga class. And I was using the pose and getting into this pose as kind of my channel to work through what was challenging me in my life. And since that moment, yoga has become really important to me, um, for a lot of reasons, but, um, but yeah, that's become, it, it become the most important thing for me. Um, I also can say that I, I talk, I speak with a therapist once a week and that has been life-changing. I spoke with her today and we haven't spoken in two weeks because I've been traveling and I'm like, I said to her, I'm like, I cannot go two weeks. I need to speak with you every week because it just helps so much to have an unbiased opinion from someone. Um, and, and then I see my spiritual or I speak with my spiritual advisor monthly and that sounds maybe a little crazy to some people, but she really just helps me stay grounded. She works, um, with the course in miracles. If some of you have heard that it's a much more practical way into spirituality and like working through your ego and, um, 
yeah, there's nothing really woo-woo-y about it at all. And don't get me wrong. I love the woo-woo. I've got the crystals and I've got the Palo Santo and I've got, do all the things and I've got the tarot cards. And But I know that a lot of people are turned off from spirituality due to that. And and I, I just, I, I want people to know that you don't need to collect crystals and wear all white and go meditate in the mountains for the rest of your life. You can lead a very spiritual life and continue to go about your life the way that it's been. It's just about shifting your consciousness within yourself. And it's not an easy thing to do necessarily. And when you do start to shift your consciousness, your energy field elevates and people around you will either be inspired to move with you or stay where they are. And that's okay. And and there's no judgment in that. And it's really easy to go into this place of superiority and to think that like you're better than someone else because you're doing spiritual work, but that's not the case. We're all on completely different paths and people move at different paces. Um, but it's important to learn to let people go. Um, and that's a really big part of the path is learning to let people go who don't serve you and to really start to cherish the people who, who are coming onto your path. And since I've been doing this work, I've been calling in, um, and, and attracting girlfriends who are doing the same work as me. And it's been so, so, so special. And the relationships in the past year that I've built with women are unlike any that I've ever had in my entire life. Um, and that is like, oh, it's just one of the best things. Um, so from there, um, I like to also ask people what some of their biggest lessons have been. I think that learning that you can't walk a path, this path alone. Um, you know, we, when you start to do the spiritual work or the healing work or whatever it is that you're doing, you do start to go into an introspective place, but it's so important to have guides, human guides. We have spiritual guides with us all the time, and you can talk to them anytime you want. Unless you are, you know, psychic, maybe you're hearing them talk back, but you need, I believe fully that we need, if it's a therapist, a counselor, spiritual advisor, energy healer, whatever it is, someone who can help you process what you're, what you're feeling. Um, journaling has also been really, really big for me through this process because it's get, gets my thoughts out of my head. Um, sometimes I get scared to sit down and journal because I'm like, I'm going to be here for like an hour. There's so much to get out. But, um, the thing with, with having someone else to talk to is just that we can't see our own shadows. We can start to develop an awareness around picking up when we're triggered but it's almost impossible for us to really see our own shadow um, and our own unconscious thought patterns. So it's so important, um, whether through therapy or through even just good friends to help us um, uncover certain aspects of ourselves that need to be healed. Um, Another really big lesson for me has been understanding that healing is an incredibly personal journey. When you start on it and things start to work for you, it's really easy to go to a place where you're like, this is what works. This worked for me. This is going to work for everyone. And that is the farthest thing from the truth. And I am, can be the first person to admit that I like to shove my agenda on people. So, um, for a while I was just for a while I was seeking help from anyone who could give me answers. Um, as I said, energy healers, therapists, wellness bloggers, I mean the whole thing. 
Um, but there also comes a point where you have to stop and learn how to listen to your own intuition and really dig deep to find out what isn't serving you because no one else can give you that information. I believe that our bodies are constantly speaking to us and that we have to learn how to listen. Um, and as I said, I can now see that my panic was my body screaming to me that it was time to change. Um, but as I said, you know, and letting, and letting others take their journey as, as it's meant to go for them. Um, as I said, it's really easy to go into a place and be like, oh, that person needs to change or they need to do this. But that's usually just a reflection of something that we actually need to change. Um, that, you know, when I do, when I do that with other people, it's like something's triggering me about the way someone's healing or the way, or not even healing, the way they they go about their day. And it's like, no, that's theirs. That is 100% theirs. It is just showing you, it is showing me that there is something within me that, that I still need to work on. Um, also learning to be patient with myself. Um, in the beginning of this journey, I found myself yearning to be my old self again, but that's what my anxiety has been forcing me to not do. Um, and I've recently found myself praying to just be healed and to be a new person, but that's also not realistic because all I am is this person right now. And I have the choice to live in fear or to live in love. So, you know, it's, it's such a journey. It's, it's, it's ever, it will never end. That's also kind of another lesson is learning that, that this journey, when you start walking a spiritual path, it really doesn't end. It's just like this constant unfolding of layers. And it's actually really beautiful because there are really painful times and it's like, well, what the hell? Like, where's the end goal? There's got to be an end goal here. And there's not. We're, we're on this ever-evolving journey. And, um, and it's important to recognize that and to have the patience for that and to have the balance and to find the balance with the darkness and the light. It's like when you start to, to, to seek healing, you just, you want to get rid of the darkness. I wanted to get rid of the darkness. I didn't want it anymore, but that's what was causing the anxiety. That was part of what was causing the anxiety. It's learning to, to accept it and to hold it and to love it actually. And to say, okay, this is what I'm experiencing right now. And it may not be what I want to be experiencing, but I accept it. I respect it. And it's what's happening. And it, you'll be surprised when you start to do that, how quickly that anxiety or that thought will then move through you because the resistance, the block comes from trying to prevent it to happen versus actually allowing it to happen and allowing it to move through you. Um, and I think the most important lesson is knowing that full healing is possible that mental illness, that meant, you know, poor mental, whatever, anxiety, depression, PTSD, postpartum depression, an- anorexia, you know, all of these things or whatever trauma that you've experienced, it's not a life sentence. We've been so conditioned to believe that, um, that we need to get on medication and we're going to be on, be on it for the rest of our lives because it's just a chemical imbalance. No, I, I, <laughs> I don't believe that for one second. I believe with every cell of my being that our bodies are working with us and they want us to heal. 
I do believe that there's a chemical imbalance, but I also believe that we have the power to heal that through diet and spiritual work and that it's not a life sentence. Um, I read a quote today actually by Yogi Bhajan, who is the founder or the creator of um, Kundalini Yoga. And he says, the process of self-healing is the privilege of every being. Self-healing is not a miracle, nor is self-healing a dramatization of the personality as though you could do something superior. Self-healing is a genuine process of the relationship between the physical and the infinite power of the soul. So what I believe that he is saying is that we have to connect to our higher self in order to heal. Again, I keep saying it's this relationship. It's, it's the mind, the body, and the soul. And all three have to be moving and working together in order to fully heal. And, um, and I think that that's the most important thing for, for anyone who's struggling to understand that you are not sentenced, you are not in a life sentence and that there is so much out there. Um, it's just a matter of like, you do have to take the step. You've got to book the therapist. You've got to make the decision to do the work and it doesn't have to be hard. I keep saying, saying the work, I'm doing the work, I'm doing the work, but it doesn't have to be difficult. Um, and you move at your own pace and you be gentle with yourself and, and amazing things will start to happen. The challenging part is that it doesn't happen overnight. And that's where a society that's so conditioned to want things overnight, you know, with microwaves and cell phones and all of the things. And, um, it is a slow path. It is, it does, you do have to slow down, but that's the beautiful part is that it really gets you in touch with your human nature. We are so, I mean, our minds are so busy these days and it's so hard to quiet, um, but it really gets you in your body and it, you know, you will have some experiences that maybe you don't like in the moment, but you will learn to, you, you, you learn to love it. You learn to love your pain. You learn to love the healing process because as you do start to grow and heal, it, it feels so good. And it's also important to note that it's not a linear process that, you know, you can take 10 steps forward and then eight steps backward. And that's just the way that it moves. And then all of a sudden you're 12 steps forward again. Um, and you're a little bit further or, you know, you see those little memes on those drawings on Instagram or whatever, where it shows like my healing process is like this really zigzaggy line. And that's, I mean, it's so true. Um, it's not a linear process, but I can say that I believe that when you do the work to raise your energy levels, to raise your, raise your consciousness levels, that when that's raised, you can't go back down. So that's what I mean when I say that when you're doing the work, you can't really stop because when you start to see from a higher perspective, it just, I mean, I it, it, it's, it's enticing. You're like, Oh, there's, there's more here. There's more to this life here. And I feel like I've barely even touched the tip of the iceberg. I mean, I like I've cracked off like 1% and that's really, but that's really exciting to me. Consider, you know, and I've done a lot of work, but that doesn't, that doesn't bother me. I'm like, Oh my God, I love this so much. And I feel so good. And I feel better and more in my body than I have in my entire life. So bring it on, like bring on the pain, bring on the healing, bring on the triggers. I love it. I'm like, yeah, like let's do this. And I'm so committed to it. And so one of the last things I ask is for, um, suggestions, um, 
books, whatever. So as I said earlier, um, Many Lives, Many Masters by Brian Weiss totally changed my life. Um, so one of my very, very, I would recommend, actually, I haven't listened to it on audiobook. You could do audiobook, but, and I'm sure it's great there, but I, you will blow through it in like five seconds. Um, on audiobook, Rising Strong is a Spiritual Practice by Brene Brown is amazing. If you don't know Brene Brown and her work, you will love her because she, again, goes about spirituality in a very practical way. She's a researcher and studies human behavior. And so, and she's great and she's funny and she's from Texas and she's just, she's, she's, she's very likable. Another amazing book that I've listened to on audio. Um, and the reason I listened to this book on audiobook, it was recommended to me by my spiritual teacher is because when we're listening to something, it goes into our brain in a different way than when we're just reading it. Even if we kind of lose, um, our attention for a moment, it's still going in and it stays there, whether we're aware of it or not. So this book is called Letting Go by David R. Hawkins, and it is another one that is a life changer. Um, it just explains kind of the different levels of healing and the different energy levels um, that we can experience as humans. Um, that sounds maybe not that interesting, but it's a great book. I highly recommend it. Um, another one that I love is The Anatomy of the Spirit by Carolyn Miss. That's a great one. Um, and I constantly, I mean, I have like a ridiculous amount of, um, spiritual books on my table. I'm kind of always reading like 10 at a time and I just pick up whichever one, uh, works for me. So someone else whose work I'm really interested in at the moment, I've really just started studying is, um, Dr. Joe Dispenza. And he, if you're someone who again, wants the more practical side to spirituality, he is the one who, um, really goes into like the science, um, behind the mind. And he, he again goes into this very kind of practical way, um, about the way that our mind works and our bodies and our spirits. And he's, he's been, he's, he's like breaking boundaries left and right, um, with studying spirituality basically. So, um, there's a book called breaking the habit of being yourself that I am just starting to read. That's really powerful. So, um, so yeah, I think that those are some of my favorite, uh, books and audiobooks that I can recommend if you want to just start listening in the car or reading. Um, you know, if any of those call to you, it's, it's a great way to start and kind of start scratching the surface on all of this. Also, um, the medical medium books, as I st said earlier, but really, truly the, the, the book Medical Medium, and then um, at pretty much any of his other ones. But you can also follow him on Instagram at Medical Medium um, and listen to his radio shows, which I also do, which is on SoundCloud. So um, I think that that's the end of my episode. And I think that that went a lot longer than I had intended it to. But I really just wanted to give you guys a scoop into what I've been doing, why I've started this podcast. Um, you know, I really think that when I was in my really, really dark moments that had I known that other people had felt the way that I did, it just would have changed the way that I felt. I wouldn't have felt so alone. I felt so alone. And that's the scariest part. And, and you, as I said, it was learning that I wasn't alone. It was learning, it, it was learning that I had angels and really feeling that and really connecting to it. And also knowing that as a human race and as a collective, we are all so connected and, 
and it's totally unbreakable. And we're in a crazy total shit storm of a time on earth right now. But I believe that every single human who's here, I believe that our souls choose when we come in. I believe that we choose our bodies. I believe that we choose our families and that, um, we choose the life that we have in order to do the work to continue evolving. And, um, and if, again, that's a lot of that's in many lives, many masters. Um, you can learn that there, um, if that resonates with you. So, so yeah, I'm really grateful that you're listening to this and, um, I really hope that you enjoy the following episodes. My next episode is with Lacey, whose work I have keep talking about. So I'm really excited to introduce everyone to her and, um, yeah, I'm, I'm no, um, I am no interviewer. So, um, you know, every episode's different. Uh, the sound quality is kind of all over the place. This is, I don't know how long this will go for. I don't know if I'll continue doing this, but if you are enjoying it, please let me know. Um, you can leave a review here, I think, and, um, or send me a message on Instagram on my personal page or on, um, the Joan podcast, Instagram page, which is at Joan podcast. And you can find out why I've called it Joan there. And, um, and yeah, thank you so much. And I really quickly want to give a shout out to a couple of people to Clay Carnell, who has been editing and like very, very, very patiently waiting for me to do this. I mean, we've been working on this since May, I think I started May or June. Yeah. May is when I first started recording. I recorded with Lacey six months ago, so um, it will be kind of interesting to hear where I was then because I was in a completely different place than I am now, but that's the beauty of growth and evolving. So, um, yeah, I have great, I have some really amazing women on and I would love to also branch out into, um, having some men on to bring some of that energy in and speaking on, um, the healing around mental health with men, because that's really important, but I'm getting sidetracked here. So I also want to thank um, my friend, Mike Lachome, who so thoughtfully created my music. Um, It sounds like it is just like a cute little jig, but it was actually so thoughtful and he put so much energy and, and thought into it. And, um, and that's really special. And, um, and also to my friend, Jen Perron, who who made the, the beautiful artwork, um, for the podcast, the little Joan sword. So thank you to you guys. And thank you to everyone listening for supporting. And I am sending you everyone listening to all of the animals and all of the earth and all of the people, just so much love and peace and healing. And, um, just know that you're not alone and that you can heal. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and leave a review. That way you'll be up to date on our amazing upcoming episodes. Also, you can scroll down and check out the show notes for any references mentioned in this episode, like books or doctors that you may have missed.